Okay, so a couple of weeks back, we wrapped up finally what was like a like six-week or so study um, through the resurrection of Christ, um, the ascension of Christ, and then how the church has historically viewed that. Um, we put a nice bow on it. Um, finally, we got through it because we were working through it <laughs> when, like, pre-pandemic, and then we rebooted classes again and started back there, um, and I was a little concerned that we wouldn't be able to finish up because classes stopped again, <laughs> and then we get back, so um, we were able to wrap that up the last time that we were together. Um, I want to say thank you to Blake, and I want to say thank you to Corey as well for um, covering for me the two weeks um, that I missed in between then and now. Um, today we're going to be moving on to the next section of this. Um, this is uh, the offices of Christ. So like if you're following through in the systematic theology book, that's the section that we're going to be looking at um, here today. I'm going to be looking specifically, we're going to look at um, three passages of text that kind of explore a little bit um, these offices. Now, I, I will, what I'll say here is that maybe only one of the texts that I'm going to use today you'd actually like come across as you're going through um, this chapter in the Systematic Theology book. Um, the others I've selected myself because I, I feel that they do a good job of both highlighting um, this, the particular aspects of the offices of Christ, while as well kind of um, linking back to things that we've talked about and discussed in the past. So um, we're going to be doing these a, a little out of order. Um, what you'll normally hear the offices listed as um, prophet, priest, king. We're actually going to be doing king, prophet, priest, um, and ending with um, ending with the ending with Christ's position and and how he uh, fills the fills the role of priest in our life. So um, the reason that I wanted to start with uh, with King here is I, I want to do something. So I'm going to read through this text first, and then what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you if you would to close your eyes, and then I'm going to read through it almost in a storytelling way, okay? So we're going to read through it first so that you kind of get the picture of the text. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and then I'm, I want us to picture um, where we kind of left from when we, were when we were studying the resurrection and ascension, and I want us to, to bridge into this new study with seeing how Christ entered into heaven as king. So um, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 24. Uh, we're, we'll start reading in verse 7 here. I'll read 7 through 10. So we're going to explore how Christ is king here. Now, first, I don't think that you, of these three um, offices of Christ, I think king is probably the one that um, is going to be most easy for all of us. If you were to go through just the New Testament alone and look for Christ as king, you're going to see he's king of kings, lord of lords. Like this is common to us. So what I want to do in this particular section is I want us to, I want us to, to kind of, consider a couple of things like linking this to the resurrection of Christ. Christ is both God and man and when Christ was raised, he was raised how? 
bodily as he enters into the gates of heaven who is it that sits on the throne who is it it's christ clearly christ the god man our brother sits on the throne right so at the fall right adam sins there is a great chasm opened up between us and god all have fallen in in adam right the gates of heaven closed to us these ancient doors of heaven closed we cannot enter in these ancient gates preventing us from entering into the presence of god represented throughout scripture as as we see god calling out a people and 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 we get a tent we get a temple a tabernacle we get this holy place we get this holy of holies and what we we find along the way that there is a a a separation between god and man right like even the high priest can only go into this holy of holies right even the high priest can only go one time well he can't just like any day of the year like be like i'm just gonna stroll up in right so like as this text that we're this text that we're reading here like the specifics of it right this is written by david specifically speaking towards the ark of the covenant Okay, but as we've seen time and time again through numerous studies of how the Old Testament projects shadows, um, foreshadows Christ and, and, and what Christ will be and who he will be, this text, the specifics speak of the Ark of the Covenant coming into that holy place, looking forward to. The, t- that, the, the completion of that type, right? The substance of that type. This is what, this is what we're going to find when we, when we read this uh, text here. So um, who is this king of glory is, is what I want us to think about as we, uh, as we read this. So we're going to read through it one time. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and then I want you to kind of picture Christ in this moment. Um, so, verse 7, Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Close your eyes, if you would. Um, I want you to picture that day that Christ is walking with his disciples and, and they're asking if the kingdom is coming. Like, is now the time, Lord? Um, and he doesn't say to them... No. He doesn't say to them, you misunderstand things. He says to them, it's not your time. It's not your place to know the time. And they continue on. 
looking for this kingdom, right? Like up until the end, they're looking for this kingdom. Christ, 40 days with them, resurrected our brother. He's in this resurrected body and a clown engulfs him and takes him up. He is embodied. He is God. He is man. He goes out of their sight. What are you doing? Standing around here, looking up at the sky. As he is gone, he will return. They go about his business, the commission that has been set out for him, cut to heaven. And we see Christ approaching. And he calls out this God-man, lift up your head, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. They know who it is that's approaching these gates. So when they say, who is this King of glory, they are not asking a question as though they do not know. They are asking in awe, who is this King of glory? And Christ cries out, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up. O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Open your eyes for me. Now imagine these gates swung wide. These ancient gates closed to man since the fall. Now opened by a man who approaches the throne. A man approaches the throne of God and sits down upon it. Christ is seated on the throne, King of kings and Lord of lords. He reigns and will reign until His enemies are made His footstool. Right? Until his enemies bow before him. This is the king of glory. This is the king of kings. This is the God we serve. This is the position of Christ. A position of Christ. He is our king. He is the king of kings. Let's look now at this. Flip with me to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to look at Christ as prophet here in, in Matthew. Now, again, um, if you've followed any of, this, any of the, the studies that have, that have gone on about um, these, these Old Testament types, these foreshadowings of, um, of Christ uh, in the Old Testament, that, that, that truly all of Scripture points to, uh, to Christ, um, then I want you to consider, um, actually, 
Y'all stay there. Stay in, stay in Matthew chapter 12. Um, we're going to be in verse 38 there. Um, I'm going to flip real quick. Uh, I want to read another passage of text to you. This is something This is not new. Um, we have covered this um, in, a, in a previous lesson, but I want to, to just kind of read this text again because it's going to kind of tie in to, to what we see here. Um, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read verse 3 through um, through the first part of, well, actually 3 through 4. Um, and I'm going to ask you some questions, and then we're going to, we're going to look here. So here, um, as we kind of start into this particular section, um, consider we're, we're considering here the position of Christ, the office of Christ as prophet here, okay? So verse 15, or excuse me, chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, um, verse 3, uh, this is the pre-Paulian creed. This is a creed that the early church held um, within 10-year span of Christ's death, burial, resurrection. They were... Um, repeating these very words and Paul received these words and he's here delivering them. So he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So um, pay close attention to that last part. What does the last part of chapter 4 there say? It says that he was buried, that he was raised, not just that he was raised, right? Because if you go into the Old Testament and just use the Old Testament text itself, you could very easily find prophecies to the raising of the Messiah, right? Um, the question that I have is how did the early church come to the conclusion that he was raised and they added as a part of their creed, raised on the third day, right? And they say, for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, so that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And then I, this would be where I would like go to you and I would challenge you to go find a place. Um, you, can, you could cheat and use the New Testament. That's going to be about the only place that you can do it. Uh, or the only way that you could do it without stretching, right? So um, when we teach, there are methods to teaching, right? So exegesis, right? Exegesis is if I read the text and I expound from the text. And then there's eisegesis, which is I imply things onto the text, right? One is good. Exegesis. If, if Dustin's in the pulpit and he's, he's performing the act of exegesis on the text, that's a good thing. If he's performing the act, act of eisegesis on the text, if he's, a, if he's telling stories about him through the text, or if he's, if he's forcing things like this square peg into a round hole of the text, this form of eisegesis is not good. The only man who can do it and it be good is a prophet. Okay, Jesus does this. This is what Jesus does in the text that we're going to look at here in Matthew, is that Jesus reads himself into the text. If I read myself into the text, this book is about Jesus, right? Jesus reads himself into the text. This, what we're going to find here in Matthew, is Jesus performing... 
eisegesis on the text. Like Jesus is going to read himself, himself into the text here. He is a prophet. He can do this. And so when the church says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture, there's two places that the church could draw that from in the Old Testament. One is the account of Abraham and Isaac in the three-day journey, right? That's, that's one place. The second, and I would say this is the strongest case because Jesus literally says it himself, is Jonah. Jonah three days in the belly of the fish, right? But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It is a stretch for any of us to say that, right? If Jesus had not said it, Himself, and you find me teaching it, then you'd be like, I mean, it, I'm glad because it does line up. There's three days here and there was three days there, but it's a stretch. It's a st- you're, you're stretching the text there, Landon. Right? But Jesus shows us the fact that this is about Him, that this is, that the, the very life of Jonah is prophetic to Christ, right? And this is what we see here um, as, we, as we read this. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 42 here. So, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, verse 40. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, someone greater than Jonah is here. Verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, someone greater than Solomon is here. So in this text, we see the power, like Christ is not just a good teacher, he's not just a good preacher, he speaks prophetic words about himself, from a text that only he could preach from, right? Only he could preach from, because only he could make this stretch, right? Like, that's the beauty of Christ here. Christ is a prophet. He prophesies here his death and resurrection, and he does it from Scripture in, a, in an amazing, amazing way. So Christ is king, um, who is this king of glory? Christ here we see is a prophet who prophesies his own um, death and resurrection and does so in, um, in a wonderful way. Um, and now I want us to uh, explore how Christ is also um, a priest and, and is in the office of a priest. So um, flip with me. Uh, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 4. Before we kind of dive into this, I will say that um, much cutting had to take place for me to find, uh, like, 
this, the passages of text that we're looking at today um, for each of these, um, there are many, many places in the text where you can look uh, to see um, evidence of Christ as being king, king of kings, and lord of lords. There are many places uh, in the text where you can see him called a prophet, um, and there are many, many places within the text where you can see him fulfilling the role of uh, priest and great high priest at that. So I would encourage you to go and, and, and read uh, throughout Scripture. The book of Hebrew, Hebrews in particular has a lot to say about uh, Christ in the position of the great high priest. We're only going to really have time to, to touch on, you know, just a little bit of that here. So if you would, uh, we're going to be in verse 14 of chapter 4, 14 through 16. So Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Um, you could go look in chapter 7, and you could find even more that's said about um, Christ in this office of, of being a priest here. Um, so, I, like I say, I would I would certainly encourage you to go do that. Um, there is a, a, a wealth of value for the soul spending time um, in the book of Hebrews, uh, specifically digging into just how Christ um, is greater in all regard um, to all the comparisons that are that are put against him in in this book. Uh, so let's let's read just kind of one little piece of that here in verse fourteen. So since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. So here we see Christ is that high priest, and um, I, I selected this verse here for. Um, what we see here next um, because I think it, it really highlights an aspect of this office of Christ that is um, a wonderful comfort for the soul um, for the spirit um, as, as we live this life um, for him so verse 15 for we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Um, I don't know how much time that y'all spend considering what it means for Christ to have um, redeemed us in the manner that he did, right? Like, you could, you could conceive of uh, a number of ways in which none of them would, would line up at all. Like all of our ways that we would conceive of would ultimately fail to achieve to glorify God in, in some way. But we could imagine other ways that God could have redeemed people for himself. Um, that did not involve the shame that came upon him, that did not involve even the death of Christ. Um, and, and yet, if we consider the nature of God's perfect approach to redeeming us, uh, there are some things that come out of that that on the darkest of days, 
we can find comfort in, right? Who here has been tempted in a way that Christ has not been tempted? No, like here's here's what's like there's there is an untold number of ways that a person could be tempted in this world, right? Um, even given the same circumstances, different people could be tempted in different ways. Like, just it, it, it's it's almost inconceivable of the ways that we could be tempted given any particular ordering of days. Um, and yet, I am confident in saying that there is nothing that anyone has gone through that Christ. Not only he knew he would have known it perfectly had he not experienced it, yet your high priest is not one who is afar off, only having knowledge of your temptations and trials and struggles and tribulations. He is one who has taken upon himself to enter into that and has experienced it. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize like. Let your mind draw to something that you're like, I wish it were not. That something, whatever it may be, when you come to your high priest, the one who is enthroned, King of kings and Lord of lords, when you come to him, he is able to sympathize with you He knows exactly what it is that you are going through. Exactly what it is that you're going through. You don't have... And here's like... Here's the thing that's beautiful about this. I'm going to read... I'm not going to forget to read that quote real quick. Um, I think that it's. I think that it does a a great job at kind of highlighting what what I want. To say here, so when we consider Christ um, in his position of of priest, um, I'm going to read. I'm just going to read a quote from the section through the Systematic Theology book, where it's kind of speaking about Christ in the position of of being our great High Priest, and and he says here, it is it is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life. that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers. And that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Christ, not only does he know and not only can he sympathize for every situation, but when I, when I fail in praying for myself, for my family, like for the situation that I'm in, that I think that I have it handled, our high priest prays on our behalf. 
He prays about things that I don't even know to pray about. Like, consider that you don't know what tomorrow holds. Yet your king, the prophet, the priest, knows exactly what it holds. And he's praying for you now ahead of it that you would come through it victoriously. Like that is such a wonderful thought to consider. Like who is, truly, who is this king of glory that would stoop so low as to consider my tomorrow and pray for me in it even when I'm failing to do so myself. That is such an amazing thought to consider. Like that's so profound to consider when we consider the offices of Christ and how He never neglects in any of them. Yes, He never fails in His offices. As king, he rules over all. As prophet, he has prophesied from the beginning, the end, and how it will come to be. And as our priest, he comforts us, guides us, instructs us, prays for us as we walk along that way. And that is, to me... um, an amazing thing to consider um, as we consider who Christ is um, and um, the hope that we have the hope that we have in him um, I'm going to close this out real quick in prayer and um, then we'll we'll dismiss